Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and this evening we're going to talk about tips and tricks to help students with low vision to succeed at school. And to help us with this program, I have invited two special guests. These are gentlemen who have utilized special tips and tools while they were in school. And from Alameda, California, we have uh, Mr. Damien Pickering. Welcome to the show, Damien. Hello. Thank you, Dr. Bill. And thank you, everybody, in Let's Talk Low Vision podcast land. Looking forward to this. <laughs> yes, I think this is going to be really helpful for a lot of the kids and for a lot of the teachers out there. And also, here from Los Angeles, California, we have Julian Vargas. Thanks for being on the show, Julian. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to uh, talk to the folks here at CCLVI. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that I think really makes a, a huge difference with all of these programs that talk about suggestions and tools for students is when we can invite people who have succeeded academically at school and they have used these different types of modifications and things. Uh, so first of all, let's go ahead and let's introduce, uh, int begin with Damien. Damien, could you briefly just tell us about your visual condition? How much vision did you have as a child, and how did you use different tools to overcome it? Sure. Uh, I had vision for only the first couple of years of my life. I had retinoblastoma, so I do have some visual memory, but, it, you know, it really, I, I lost my sight completely um, at uh, three, a little past three and a half, like almost four years old. So, though the, I, I think, spatial orientation, perspective, remembering colors, I mean, knowing, being able to, to picture things, you know, when I read books or people talk about things, I mean, I, I remember going to the zoo and seeing the animals and, you know, seeing the, the you know, the moon follow the car and things like that. I mean, that, that visual memory is, is uh, helpful, I think, in a lot of ways, but for all intents and purposes, I, I've been totally blind since age four going through school. So uh, I learned Braille. Um, around the same time that my sighted peers were learning to read. So, you know, I didn't have the, you know, it's a lot, most people lose their vision later in life, and it, it's very difficult to retool and train your fingers to be sensitive and, and learn Braille. But, you know, since I was just learning as a kid, kind of at the same time everyone else was, um, I just took that in stride. Of course, back in those days, um, we didn't have the kinds of uh, technology products available in school. So, I, I you know, was using the, the talking book records from the, the Library of Congress, um, and then you know, the big breakthrough was cassette tapes and four-track cassettes. So you could, you know, get more information on fewer cassettes and. But I, I was still, you know, carrying a Perkins Brailler around and, you know, big Braille volumes and cassettes and so forth. Um, so, you know, for me, you know, big things were learning orientation and mobility, learning to, to use a cane, learning um, 
route planning and, and traveling independently, learning to use public transportation, um, those types of things. Um, it wasn't until my college years that computers um, and, and screen readers um, kind of came on the scene, and that was a, a big breakthrough in learning to be able to, to word process and so forth. I mean, in, in the past, I had... I'd learned touch typing, and so I, I could, you know, read assignments onto a, a cassette and then play it back with a foot pedal and type it and then, you know, maybe have somebody help me correcting, um, you know, errors or in some cases retyping things. But, but uh, computers and word processing was a, a breakthrough. My first uh, note taker um, was the, the famous uh, Braille and Braille and speak, um, and you know that was the first time of having uh, you know something portable, where I could have uh, basic electronic documents, and again be able to do some editing, um, you know, cutting and, and pasting and things like that. And then, you know, over the the course of my um, career, I've I've gotten to be part of the assistive technology industry, um, working, uh, you know, starting in nonprofits and um, going into then Freedom Scientific for a number of years, Humanware, and then um, a little more than a year ago, I transitioned over to HIMSS uh, based in, in Austin, Texas, another Braille and low vision manufacturer and distributor. So, I, you know, I've watched the evolution of uh, technology products, uh, you know, getting smaller, leaner, meaner, faster, being able to do more things, having access to a lot more electronic material, like through Bookshare and and so forth. I mean, in the beginning of my my working career, you know, I remember wanting to get a resource list that uh, some other nonprofit in San Francisco was, you know, a directory of social resources and things that as an information and referral specialist at the time I wanted to have access to, and it was only available in print. And it's like, oh, my gosh, we can't provide this to you in electronic format, and, you know, that's our material, and, you know, you could copy it, what have you. I mean... I mean, it was harder to, to get something in electronic format than, you know, I could probably find somebody to donate a pair of eyes to me, you know, more easily than that. But yeah. you know, now there's been a real explosion. So, I mean, you have hundreds of thousands of of books available in electronic yes. formats and can download things and access them. So we, we've come a long, long way. Yeah, we'll talk about all of those things. But, you know, Damien... I think that your case is very, very important for students and parents and teachers to hear because you really went from a situation where you never had vision to be able to read or write or learn at school. And you learned how to use a cane. You learned how to read and write braille. You learned to do these things. And you're very, very successful in in your own business. And uh, your father... Uh, it just shows that a person doesn't have to have vision, and you could be very successful because of these things that you learn at school. And when you were talking about all the things you had, I can't even imagine this, but you had albums, you know, records for your books. Yeah, it wasn't even yeah. just 
you would need a, a wagon to carry all those things. Yeah, I did sometimes. Class. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I, I think the big secret is nobody ever told me that, uh, you know, I shouldn't be able to have a normal mm-hmm. life, uh, you know, being blind. So it was my my uh, ignorance and, and persistence where I just, oh, nobody told me I couldn't do that. So I, I just did it. And, wow. and now I realize, uh, you know, some of the challenges I overcome. Well, you know, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. The fact that you didn't know that there's a lot of people who said, well, if you're blind, you can't do it. That ignorance led you to the success you have. And uh, Julian, tell us about your story, what your vision was like and how your vision changed and uh, how now you're, you're so successful as being your own business person. So I, I was born with a uh, somewhat rare genetic condition known as Lieber's congenital amaurosis, LCA for short. So I've always had a limited vision to some degree uh, throughout my life. Uh, looking back I, and through my childhood compared to what I have now, I, I had awesome vision back then. <laughs> it had its limitations and, you know, it was... Uh, it was interesting to say the least. I, I grew up in New York City, so that was a tough and interesting place to grow up. And I w- went to school mostly uh, mainstream public school, and um, you know, tr- uh, a lot of the things that, that Damon mentioned certainly brings back some memories. <laughs> a lot of the the uh, the record, uh, the, the talking books on records, and flexible discs and cassettes and things like that, and uh, getting your books. From the library service, from reading for the blind and dyslexic, and and then stuff that some of the teachers also recorded, and you'd go home and play those. So that was that. And then uh, you know one of one of my favorite things when when I was uh, introduced to it was the visual tech, if we remember those uh, black and white uh, CCTV. Oh, did uh, you have one of those? That was one uh, of the first brands ever. Uh, I, ne- I never owned one, but I, I got to use one at school, and it was the greatest thing because now I could read uh, small print, and I could invert the colors, which for me was was very important. I think I think even more than the than the enlarging of the print back then, you know, I didn't have as, nearly as much difficulty as I have with that now. But it was the inverting of the colors that really made a difference because that enabled me to be able to read printed text. Uh, for a much longer period of time without my eyes totally uh, getting fired from the glare of the white paper. So I, I had that, uh, learning how to adjust, you know, because uh, my vision a lot was affected a lot by just the light. Uh, you know, I, I needed more light. To, the, the brighter it was, the better I could see things around me. So uh, on cloudy days, I couldn't see as well as on sunny days. And uh trying to keep up with the teacher and, and when she wrote on the blackboard, you know, on, on cloudy days, I couldn't see very much of the blackboard where on sunny days I could see more of it. But fortunately, most of my teachers liked to speak as they were writing. So I, if I was taking notes, I simply had to write as they were speaking while they were writing. And that's how I was able to, to keep up with that. So uh, mobility was interesting. I spent a good chunk of my childhood uh, not wanting to use a cane. I was uh, kind of in denial of it. I, I, you know, when you're in with the, with the regular sighted kids, you want to fit into to, you know, what people are doing around you. You don't want to be the odd, God, the odd boy out. So, you know, I spent a long time uh, 
stumbling into things. And, <laughs> and when I think about it now, I think, man, you know, I, I wouldn't have looked nearly as ridiculous if I just started using a cane early. <laughs> but back then, you know, I, I didn't see it that way. I just saw that if I used the cane, that was a big, bright thing that told everybody around me, okay, there's something different about it. There's something wrong with them. Versus if I stumbled into someone or someone, I could always make up an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, when I think now about how uh, – easier it is because of all the technology it's it's amazing you know uh back then when i was working on a paper or report for something it was you know involved getting looking at something up in a card catalog or looking through an encyclopedia and then sitting for hours in front of a, of a visual text trying to find all this information and write notes or things like that photocopy and now i mean now we have google that's <laughs> great yes I think about how much easier it would have been if I had had that, those things. Gosh, that that's that's really is so true. I haven't thought about the card catalog and all the work it would take to to go into the card catalog, find what you want, and then try to find the book. Whereas now we could do all of this from home, you know. And yeah. uh, you know, one of the things that I want the audience to know also is that you two gentlemen are the best walkers that I have ever met. I've met so many people who are either blind or low vision, and both of you, you travel so quickly and so well. Damien uses a guide dog. Julian uses his cane, and and these two men travel so quickly and so effectively, independently. It's really, really uh, impressive. And uh, one of the things that I, I was with Julian this weekend at a fundraiser, and one of the things that we were talking about is just the way the way that he speaks. You know, Julian speaks very clearly and very articulately. And Julian said something to us at the table. I don't know if you remember what you said, Julian, but maybe you do. Uh, but it was something that related to the way that you communicated with your teachers. And I think that's where we're going to start today. Do you remember what it is that you said to us at the table, the way that you spoke to your teachers? Uh, yes. I, 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 <laughs> uh, now that you give me enough clues, I, I could recall it. Uh, I was telling Dr. Bill that uh, I learned very early in, in, in my uh, going to school that the way that you got the teachers to really pay attention and, and, and give you the, the help or the respect or whatever you needed was to speak their language. Uh, I learned that the kids that uh, use the same slang that we use to speak to each other, uh, when they use that same language toward the teachers, the teachers tend to uh, either spend more time correcting them and not taking them very seriously. Um, where I learned that if if I wanted to really get the teacher's attention was to speak in their language, so I paid attention to how they spoke. I, I listened to a lot of radio. I was, uh, you know, one of those radio geeks. I like to tune in distant stations and do all that fun stuff. So I, I, I listened to a lot of radio, a lot of TV news. I was always uh, liking to know what was going on in all kinds of places for radio, everything. So I, I, I used a lot of the, of those uh, guides, if you will, to learn how to speak uh, in in adultees. <laughs> adultees. <laughs> yeah. So I, I can't say enough for that, that I think that if you really want adults to take you seriously, if you want to 
really cut to the chase, if you will, and get them to, to give you the attention or assistance that you need or the understanding, uh, it really behooves you to learn how to speak in adultese and reserve the slang and all the cool talk for when you're just hanging out with the buddies and, and the adults are not around. Uh, it's very important to, to know how to do that. It, you, you get a lot further. Yeah, you know, you know, Julian. What that makes me think of is, is people say that effective communication is is mostly listening, and that's exactly what you just said. Is you're paying attention to the way that those teachers are communicating, and and like you said, speaking to them in their language. Um, I mean, so so that was a, a brilliant intuition. I mean, you could pay a lot of money to go to a fancy. Uh, you know, seminar to to learn some of those same things. And I would add to that that, you know, really learning to, you know, to ask questions and and help, you know, help people help us is is a key part of it, too. And you you also mentioned the wanting to to fit in and, you know, having the the awkward feelings about carrying a cane. And, And I think most blind people go through that phase. I know I certainly did, and I think it's really ironic that we you know, we spend so much time when we're younger wanting to fit in, and then as we get older and we're trying to succeed in school and business, we're trying to find ways to to be noticed and to stand out. And you know, if we can kind of put two and two together, if you're visually impaired, if you're blind you will be noticed just because of that. So press that advantage. Take, I mean, don't, don't, I'm not saying, oh, you know, play the blind card, um, you know, and, and expect special treatment because of that. But take advantage of the fact that you're going to get noticed and take that moment to, you know, to ask your question or to, to establish communication with the teacher or administrators or people that are in a position to help you uh, locate resources that you're going to need and and things like that. So, yeah, excellent points. I really yes. resonate with that. You know, and that, that brings us to point number two, which Damien had talked about, is that it's very important to be able to feel comfortable with asking Asking other people for help. I could tell you that for many of you who don't know this, I was an eye doctor in practice for 18 years, and I ironically developed my own eye disease and was forced to retire. And even in my retirement, I always thought, well, I might have blurred vision, but at least I'll never be blind. Well, seven years later, I became totally blind. I'm totally blind now. And and during the time that I was losing my vision, for whatever reason, I felt that I really don't need to ask anybody for help because I could figure this out myself. So I don't need to ask anybody for help. If I go to the grocery store, it's okay for me to be in there for four hours trying to find something, but I would never ask for help. I would never ask anybody for help if I couldn't find the way to the bathroom if I was at an event. And I would never ask anybody for this type of help. 
I tried to hide the fact that I had a vision impairment. I didn't want people to know that I was low vision. I didn't use a cane, and I figured I'll just figure it out myself. But as I started to meet other people with low vision, such as Damien and Julian and Keith Christian and others, I saw how they asked for help. And Damien, I want to ask you, how did you come to learn, hey, you know, it's okay to ask for help and people are going to want to help you? I thought people wouldn't want to help a blind person. You know, I mean, I had mentors along the way that uh, that that pushed me in that direction. I mean, it, it's not always obvious. And and I, a point that I want to make is that having grown up totally blind, uh, you know, on on say like when I was in college or graduating college. Um, you know, in, on one level, I'd been totally blind for years, and I had gone through learning to use the cane. And I, you know, on many levels, I was independent, but you know, I was still going through transitions. From you know, I left home to go to college, and I learned to live in the dorms, and that felt independent. But then, when I graduated college, you know, I didn't, I wasn't ready to go out completely on my own and, and get a job. You know, and I went back to my parents' home for half a year, and that was a, a culture shock. And and then, you know, I went to Orientation Center for the Blind in Albany, California, and took things, you know, to a, another level. And from there, I, you know, lived on my own for a while, and then I conducted a job search, and that took some years. And so we go through these phases, and my experience is that you can have everything hunky-dory and work out all of your accommodations and everything feels fine, and then a major life variable changes. You move to a new city, you get a new job, you go to a new school, you know, some transition happens, and all of a sudden you're dealing with your blindness and how to accommodate it in this new situation over again. So it can feel like, you know, two steps forward, one step back a lot. Well, when I was in that, that orientation center for the blind, even though I had thought I was an independent traveler, I really hadn't used planes, trains, and automobiles and, and really done full independent route planning. I, I was used to working with the orientation and mobility specialist to help me do the route, and then once they showed me, I could do it on my own. Well, at, at OCB... Uh, the center there, we worked with orientation and mobility specialists every day for, you know, the months that, that we were all there in that program, and they pushed us, you know, to that, that level of full independence. And I remember, um, you know, the, the, the O&M person taking me to a, an area, not telling me where I was, saying, you know, you're in somewhere in the grid of this 10-block area that you know, now meet me back at, at base, and I'll see you later. And so, you know, I had to first find out, well, where am I, you know? And and I went into a store and was kind of waiting and waiting, and, you know, people were talking, but, you know, it was not too many people. And finally they said, oh, you know, can I help you? And then I kind of shyly asked my question, and I got the information I needed. And 
later my my instructor said, well, you know, I watched you do that, and, you know, you were pretty timid, and, you know, why not just walk in and, and say, you know, excuse me, because, you know, you might not know where people are, and they'll say, oh, yes, can I help you? And then you ask your question. I mean, it's it's just a, mm-hmm. you want to know what address this is, and and so it was like a, a, a light bulb going on. It's like, oh, really? I, I can do that? You know, and like learning to shop in a store. You know, it never occurred to me, you know, go to the cash register and say, excuse me, can I get some shopping assistance? And they'll have somebody come and walk through the store with you and help you get the items on your list. So, I mean, I, I think it's each one teach one, and, and we all have our little ways of doing things. And, you know, I mean, I, I can talk to, to Julian or, or you, Dr. Bill, and, and, you know, pick up something that, like, hey, that would make my life easier. I'm, I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna add that one to my list. Right. We, we do learn from each other, and to ask questions, it really saves you time. And, and you will learn that when you start asking people questions, maybe it's someone to help you with shopping, or, or it might be a, a waiter, and maybe you just want to ask them, what's the best thing on the meal today? Uh, these people become your friends, and it's really amazing. They remember you when you come back. Uh, how about uh, number three, then? This relates to, I think that every one of you should have a low vision examination by an eye doctor. And this is really, really important because many people think that if you have poor vision, the solution to this is just put you in the front of the classroom. Or other teachers may think, Let's give them Braille. Others might think, let's give more lighting. But for each individual, they will need a specific condition that's going to be optimal for their learning. And during this evaluation, we also will learn, is this person better at learning by hearing? Or is this person better at learning by feeling? Or is this person better at learning by seeing? Now, it seems kind of obvious, but it really isn't because there are so many children that I have examined in my career who have perfect vision, but they could process and learn much better when they just use their fingers. And we use models that they could touch and manipulate. There's others who have very strong auditory or hearing skills, and even though they have 20-20 vision, they do better by just using their hearing. And when Julian talked about his situation, he talked about something that I hope that you heard, and that was, number one, the Visual Tech video magnifier that he had enabled him to change the color of the background, and that reduced his eye fatigue. Number two, he said he could see a lot better when it was bright. And then number three... He also had stated about the fact that there were other types of modifications with contrast that he could benefit from. Uh, so, Julian, when you were in New York as a student, did they ever do this type of low vision evaluation to determine if you needed the visual tech or if you needed bright or dim lighting or if you needed a bold pen versus a pencil? Yes, uh, I had uh, many exams over at the Lighthouse, the New York Association for the Blind. Uh, growing up, in fact, uh, that's where I more or less went to preschool. They had something called the Child Development Program. So I, I started out like that, but then, you know, they put me in the mainstream school. 
And I can't stress enough, and I really want to touch on something that you mentioned that I, I, I hope to reach the, the ears of edu- educators or teachers out there, is that you really have to understand that every child with a visual impairment really has unique uh, needs and circumstances. My condition alone, I mean, I can tell you my youngest brother has the same condition that I have, and his vision was completely the opposite. He when it, He could see better when it was dark. I could see better when it was light. And now that I've gotten older, my vision has changed and diminished. I'm finding now that I have issues with glare. So now sometimes even though brightness helps me, it also hurts me. So uh, everybody's unique, and there's no one-size-fits-all. Um, I had teachers that were very focused on getting me, as they put it, to use my eyes to do things. Use your eyes. Use your eyes. You want to find that book? Use your eyes. Well, I remember at one point I, I learned I had one particular teacher that was very insistent on this and was causing me a lot of stress. And I finally, I learned to fake her out. I would pretend to be looking inside the desk, even though it was too dark in there for me to see anything because there was no light inside the desk. So in, in, the, in the drawer, whatever it was the, the, where the books were, I learned to just act like I was looking in there, but I would still use my hands to feel for the math book or the, or the social studies oh. book or whatever. <laughs> you know, so I, I learned to do stuff like that. I, I had a music teacher that wanted me, you know, didn't like, me playing, uh, it was this instrument called the recorder, which was like a wind instrument, like a, fruit, a flute. And he was very insistent that I had to learn how to play by reading the music. And for me, that was very difficult to do. I, I, um, the, the, for, for, many, for many reasons, but basically it, it just wouldn't work if I was going to play that way. But I could learn just fine by playing by ear. So again, I learned what I had to learn to be able to explain how this note goes there and that note goes here. So I could answer the questions of theory, but I basically pretended to be reading the musical sheet while I was playing, but I really wasn't. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's little things you have to do to cope and get by. And I'm sure these teachers meant well, but they obviously didn't fully understand my condition or to, to think that maybe, you know, there were different circumstances, and instead of, of uh, uh, insisting being sticklers about little details like that, they should have instead uh, learned to work with me to find alternate methods and, and to not say, just use your eyes. Gosh, you know, the situation with you and your youngest brother having the same disease, but you two may be very, very different then, and your brother may not be able to learn by hearing. You may not be able to learn to play a musical instrument with just the ears, but you were able to. And teachers have to realize each student is different, and it really needs to be evaluated. Now, Julian, uh, number four, you, you had mentioned that you used your hearing quite a bit in school to take notes. And can you tell us what types of suggestions and tips can you share for others who have low vision for taking notes? How could you see the pencil you were writing? Or how did you get more lighting at your table? Or did you ever use any kind of recording device? Um, I didn't use recording devices. They weren't uh, as available to me then. And fortunately then my vision was better. So again, as long as I was sitting underneath a light, or by a window, and I was in the front. I was definitely one of those students that benefited from being up at the front because I could hear the teacher best without the distraction of the other kids. So 
for me that that was a very good arrangement and again i, I as the teacher was speaking as he or she wrote i would try my best to keep up with it and write that way i had uh paper with darker lines, you know, the dark line paper, because I yeah. couldn't see the, the regular lines on the regular note, uh, book paper. So I had that, and yes, I used felt-tip uh, pens to write because it was darker so I could uh, see what I was writing. You know, I, I learned cursive, and I was thankful for that because it enabled me to write pretty fast uh, as the teacher was speaking, so I didn't have to s- focus too much on how I was writing. Uh, I was... I was I, I was able to keep up, I'd say, a good 95% of the time. Yeah, you know, and tell us real quickly, do you feel that writing in cursive is faster than printing? Absolutely, yeah. If you've got enough, uh, and I'm saddened to hear that, uh, that that cursive seems to be kind of going away. Teachers aren't, uh, kids aren't being taught that anymore, and, and even just sighted kids. And I think, wow, it's such a shame because... It's such a, a quick way of, of, of writing. It's it's very smooth, and I think it's it's a good skill to have. You know, I, I realize now we can all type onto keyboards and things like that, and, and we can be faster. But you know, something I I, I can tell you that um, from my experience, when I had to give presentations, I always felt that if I wrote my notes, if I hand wrote notes, I felt that somehow I connected better with the material than if I, I used other methods. Wow. So I, I think there's, there's, there's very much an importance for cursive, and not just for, for blind kids, really for everybody. It's, it's a good skill to have, and it saddens me to hear that uh, yes. we, we're not emphasizing on that as much. Yes, I, I, I agree with you, Julian, and I, I'm finding from a lot of the schools that they're eliminating cursive writing training in third grade, but for children with low vision, uh, to write in cursive, it makes it easier for them to stay on the line when they're writing with that type of uh, a bold line paper. Secondly, one of the more popular pens called the 2020 pen has been discontinued, but we have found a replacement, a mattingly low vision. They do have a new replacement pen, so for those students who need something bolder than the bold pencil, this works really, really well. And number three, if there's a student who needs more light, I found a really wonderful light. It's called the Joseph, and the Joseph is made by Berryessa, B-E-R-R-Y-E-S-S-A, lighting up in Northern California. But what's great about this light is that it has a built-in magnifier on there, so if there's something smaller, the student could pull out the magnifier. Number two... It has a dimmable lighting switch, so you could dim the brightness. And number three, you could get it in different shades of white. So in other words, you don't have to worry about the ultraviolet and the blue wavelengths of light, which we now uh, know are damaging. So the various lighting is very, very helpful. For for kids who are, are really bothered by the light, we as doctors can prescribe sunglasses, we prescribe hats, and we also will use different types of overlays on the paper. It could be black construction paper, and we cut out a window that's the width of the page and the height of one line so that kids could use that for reading so there's less glare and also for writing. Um, one other thing, Julian, I wanted to ask you about 
when we talk about listening to record these lectures and things, what are some of the more affordable listening assistive technology that is available? For example, I know that a lot of kids carry cell phones with them. Yeah, so the the, the beauty of, of that is that uh, today's smartphone has really become the personal computer for most. Uh, these things are powerhouses. It, it, they're incredible. They're, they're, any new smartphone that you buy these days, it's probably as, if not more powerful, than the average desktop computer in terms of processing capability. So uh, the, the good thing about that is that we can get these uh, these apps, these applications that run on these devices, that can basically turn these smart devices into myriad of other uh, blindness type of products that before the only way you could have access to them was by buying something from a company, a specialty company that made these. And, and I'm not knocking these devices. I think they're great. In fact, uh, you know, there are still instances that I believe and I prefer to use standalone devices for certain things. I, I you know, I, I, I love my book sense. I love my Victor Stream. I, they, they, they both play role, different roles for things in my life. So uh, when I say this, it's not a knock on those products, but let's face it: um, not everybody has the money or, or the the resources or, or school district that's willing to to help one obtain this technology. But uh, these uh, tablets and smartphones are becoming more and more ubiquitous, and as a result, less expensive. So I, for what you're asking about, I think there's, there's recording apps out there uh, that will do this just fine. And the one that I highly recommend is the one that just was put out by Sweetman Systems called Pocket Yay. Recorder. And if you go into the iOS uh, app store and do a search on accessible pocket recorder, it'll come right up. Uh, the beauty of this app is its simplicity. <laughs> uh, unlike a lot of other mainstream recording apps, which are tons of, uh, this one doesn't have all these bells and whistles. So a lot of times people see the price tag and think it's oh, $10, $10. And what is this thing going to do? And, and when and they buy it and they launch it, it's like, Oh, what? It's just got this big record button in the middle of the screen and a couple other things. It's like, yes. But that's the point is that it's, it's a simple recording app. And when you launch it, uh, you have this big record button that, that's very easy to see in the middle of the screen for people with low vision. Or if you have no vision at all and you're using voiceover, focus usually lands right on that button and you can just double tap your screen and, and, and right then and there start making a recording. And uh, it connects with uh, Dropbox, which is a popular uh, file sharing and, and storage system, which allows you to uh, put that recording up there. And once it's there, you can actually share that recording with anybody else but via a link that you can send. Or you can easily take it and put it on your computer or on your uh, Daisy device or, or anything like that. So it's a really it's a really good app, and I, I'm, I'm very happy that this is brought into the market because I think it, uh, it certainly fills in a, a need. I've been using it as well, and... Another nice thing about it is it has the the help system built right in there. So, I mean, if you want a quick tutorial on how to use it, and, again, it's very simple, very easy. I mean, within, you know, three minutes you're you're using it. And uh, it's, I mean, it, it's harder than you think to come up with something that's simple and intuitive, and they really did a great job making that a, a very 
user-friendly, uh, accessible recording app. God, that's so wonderful. For $10, you can't beat that. And again, if you're carrying your phone anyways, now you have a device that you could record these lectures. Uh, now, number five comes to the pre-recorded audiobooks. And Damien and Julie, you both talked about listening to books on uh, albums and later cassettes. But now we have the National Library Service. And Damien, how can people read and listen to these books from the National Library Service in the most convenient, most portable way? Can they listen to that on other portable devices, such as a, a BookSense or a Victor Reader Stream or even their cell phone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the National Library Service BARD um, uh, is accessible through multiple devices. I mean, the Victor Stream you mentioned, the BookSense, the the Blaze by Hims, which is kind of the next generation BookSense. So it's a book player and recorder that also has built-in OCR. I want to throw that out there so you can take a picture of a, a document and have it converted and, and read back, and, if, and it's saved as a text file, and then you could actually transfer that over to you know, other devices like a note-taker to, to work with. But um, you're able to, you know, on your phone, you can download an app to access the library service or through um, your, your DAISY player, your stream, or your Blaze. You can enter your username and password, and if you're connected to, to wireless, you're able to go in and browse those, those um, collections by category. You can enter a search term using the, the keypad on your device. Um, you can add to your favorites, your, your, uh, your wish list, and um, you know if you find something you want, you just click confirm on it, and it automatically downloads to your device. And you know, then you're able to go in and, and read it and navigate that by you know by different heading levels, bookmark things so that you can um, find a, a, a passage that you've deemed is important that you may want to come back to for your book report or just remember so that you can share with somebody else. Um, I mean, it, again, it's just so amazing that gosh, you know, where I was using you know a, a you know, a giant Braille volume and only having, you know, maybe 100 pages available to me, now you can have, you know, your your entire library in a device that fits in your pocket and you're able to, you know, have your pleasure reading, your reference material, your owner's manuals that you can, you know, just, just access. You can have your whole, your whole library with you um, on the go, which is... A huge, huge development. I mean, just a giant step forward. And for the students, uh, Damien, are able to sign up to become a member of the National Library Service for free. Yeah, it, it's free. Um, it, it's you know one of the things, are one of the the better things that our taxes uh, support. Um, so you know, I'd rather uh, pay for. Um, People to have free access to reading material than uh, than another you know, war in the Middle East any day, um, believe yeah. me, um, or building a wall or anything like that. But yeah, I mean through through agencies like the the Braille Institute or the the Lighthouse for the Blind up here in Northern California, 
um, you can get assistance to um, to subscribe and and uh, have access to you know the the world's literature. Gosh, that's that's great, and it's free. And and to know, I I haven't seen the blaze that you had mentioned, but with that, I could take a picture of a menu, and it would read the menu for me. In addition, is that right? Yeah, yeah. And the the blaze, I mean, of course, the the iPhone or or uh, you know Android smartphones, you can do that. I mean, Julian mentioned there's all kinds of apps um, out there to customize your phone. Yeah. There are people who you know can't afford a monthly plan or for whatever reason, um, are just intimidated by the, the flat screen interface, um, even though the, these companies have done a great job of making those accessible. But there are still will be people who you know, are comfortable with, with buttons that are tactile and color-coded and easy to, to find and navigate. So something like the Blaze kind of fits a niche in between the Victor Stream, I mean, somebody who wants a little more from their technology than what the, the Victor Stream will do. And, and I love the Victor Stream. I mean, I still have one and still use it for many things. Um, and I have an iPhone, you know, that I love and use. I mean, I'm well, very, very fortunate that I have access to these things and I can kind of have, you know, the, the well, you know, dedicate different tools to, to different jobs. So, well, that's 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 yeah. why we we wanted both of you on because both of you have tried almost everything out there. And getting back to that, Julian, one of the things is that if people do want to use their cell phone, whether it's their Android phone or their iPhone, what kind of technology is there that could read or scan a whole bunch of pages of books so that I could read them later? Well, the, the best app I recommend for that is the KNSB Reader, uh, and it, it is available on both uh, iOS and Android, which is really nice. Um, on Android particularly, I don't know if this is still available, so don't, uh, don't hold me to this, but I know that in July, uh, right about the time of the national conventions of the NFB and ACB, Google uh, basically did a thing where they were subsidizing the cost of the KNFB reader by 80%. And they said that this would be available while supplies last, so I don't know if supplies have run out. I know I got I jumped on that and grabbed it early. <laughs> but basically, uh, you could buy the KNFB reader app for an Android device for $20. Oh, my promotion. goodness. Is that yeah, right? Was, yeah. So, again, I don't know if it's still available. So, uh, again, uh, don't hold us to it, but certainly it pays to go into the um, into the Play Store and do a search on KNFB Reader, and you download it. By the way, when you download it, it's free to download, and by default, it'll give you, I think, 20 free trial shots. In other words, you can take 20 pictures of different things and have it convert to OCR and read to you. And then after that, if you have to do it, what's known as an in-app purchase to buy it. And at that time when you do it, uh, if the offer's still there, it will come up on the screen saying that Google wants to help support the blind community by subsidizing this, and, and, they'll, and they'll mention that it's only a $20 price. So uh, that's how you'll know. But I'll tell you, even if the promotion is not there anymore, I think it's well worth $100 when you consider what uh, portable, well, what any kind of OCR device, let alone portable, used to cost just, uh, you know, four or five years ago. Uh, yeah. It's amazing when you think about it. 
accuracy is incredible. Uh, there are other mainstream apps out there that also have turned out to be helpful for us in that area, but they, they usually involve jumping through more hoops, and these apps are originally made for sighted people to OCR things like business cards or, or quick documents that they may want to send to colleagues. And they have, because they've learned that blind people can use this, they, they've done things to make the app read aloud to us, but it's not as simple of a process. Uh, the KNFB Reader is an app that's written for blind people, so it's designed in, in a very simple, very straightforward, and easy-to-use way. It does, uh, you can take a single picture, or you could do batch scanning, where you could take, if you got a hand on school, for example, that's 10 pages long, you could take a picture of all those 10 pages and save it as one document, so that later when you go to read it, you don't have to open 10 different files to get to that material. So it's it's really nice. Okay, and that is called the KNFB Reader. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's a K as in Kurzweil, because Ray Kurzweil was involved in the development of this, and, of course, NFB is in National Federation of the Blind. It originally started out as a partnership between them uh, where they developed this technology, so that's what's called the KNFB Reader. Gosh, that's just wonderful. Boy, you know, this is so helpful, all this information, and we're running kind of close on time. We have about seven minutes left, but I also want to get to two different other pieces of technology that has been really very helpful for my students, and this is similar to the Visual Tech video magnifier that Julian talked that he had that would allow him to put a book underneath the camera, and it would enlarge it. It could change the colors of the background and the text. could change the contrast, the brightness, but these new video magnifiers now will focus far and near. In other words, a student in elementary school could have this on his or her desk, point the camera towards the chalkboard or dry erase board, and a child would be able to read what's on there. If the child then wants to read the worksheet, he just swivel the camera to look at the book and can read the worksheet. Now, some of the more popular ones have been the Enhanced Vision Da Vinci, and also the HIMSS eBot. Now, one of the things that I think is really, really nice about these devices is that they've improved them to the level that you could scan it and it will read the text aloud. Now, with the HIMSS eBot, they have three different models, and I believe that the eBot Pro is this one, Julian, excuse me, Damien, that a user could connect this to a laptop computer or to their iPad or tablet computer, or they could even connect it to a 70-inch television. Is that correct? It is. Yeah, it is correct. Um, the, the eBot is uh, a device that, that collapses down, weighs about 7 pounds. It, it comes with a very well-designed carrying case that can be a, a briefcase, a backpack, or a shoulder bag, so it, it you know can go with you. Like you said, it does the near and the far view. It does the the full-page um, OCR, optical character recognition. It can do single-page or batch scanning. Um, it, it has built-in Wi-Fi, so you can connect to an iPad or a tablet um, and use that as your visual screen. It doesn't come with a screen itself, so you connect to whatever device you want, so any anywhere from a, you know, big screen TV, like you said, or a portable device um, that you could carry along with it. Um, 
Well, what's kind of neat is that it, it also, because it's a, a wireless connection um, to your to your visual output, you can actually be anywhere in the room. Um, you don't have to, I mean, it literally is a standalone device. So the eBot could be at the front of the room or at the back of the room. And some students, you know, again, going back to that awkward, you know, I don't want to stand out um, feeling, you know, they are... They would rather be, you know, sitting there with an iPad, you know, not not right next to this, you know, odd-looking piece of equipment or something. And, and so that's one of the things that the eBot lets you do is kind of socially dissociate from the assistive mm-hmm. technology so they can control the camera, you know, look at the front of the room and then back down to a, a document, you know, just using gestures on their iPad, um, so it, it's a it's a pretty unique um, piece of, yes. of equipment. And then again, if you say you do some OCR of a document, you can save that to an SD card, and then you can take that that memory card and put it in a computer or uh, you know even a note taker. I mean, we do have people that are low vision that are using a Braille device like the the Braille Sense U2. To, to do documents and whatnot, but they're also you know, needing some low you know vision magnification, and so you know the interoperability of um, you know having products work together is also kind of a, a powerful feature that that is developing in recent years. Yes, I had a student who just didn't want to draw attention to himself, and he loved his iPad, and so we had recommended. Uh, the eBot and the eBot was actually placed on the front counter where the teacher was lecturing from, and he was able to sit in the back of the class like he wanted to. And with his remote control, he could swivel that camera to focus on the chalkboard and swivel the camera to focus back onto the book. And he was so happy, and he was cool just like all the other kids because he had his, you know, uh, iPad, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, getting back to that, the other latest advance that we have that could be very helpful for uh, uh, students is that we now see a change in in the Braille note-takers. Now, Damien had talked about the note-taker when he first received his Braille sense, but a note-taker would be analogous to having your laptop computer, and it has a display of little bumps so that one could read Braille with their fingers. There's also a special keyboard so that one could type. But the newest one is actually such that using a tablet type of computer, you could actually type just by having your fingers touching that tablet screen so it doesn't make all this tapping noise anymore. And a person would also be able to use this type of a note taker to run different applications so you could run many Android applications. Uh, Damien, have you had any experience with the, the new humanware note taker that's called, uh, let's see, the, the Braille, Braille Note Touch? Braille Note Touch. Yes. Have you tried this yet? Uh, I, I actually have. Um, that was under development when I was at Humanware, and um, so I, I'm I'm pretty familiar with it, and it, it's very intriguing um you know um 
that that ability to to braille on a touch screen has been available um, through different apps and, and and on that iOS you know as well as Android side before. So you know I, I think it is very interesting. Um, you know for for many people they you know they might like that. Um, you know I I I, I like that. Um, a lot of schools are going in that direction of working with Google Docs and, you know, that, that Google is becoming a, a much bigger player in that, uh, in that information world and the accessibility world. So um, I think, you know, that it's a very obvious and natural evolution for assistive technology companies to start to develop more in that Android arena. Um, you know, I, I guess I, my... Thing is, you know, I, I I like the direction that things are going, where products are becoming smaller and more powerful. And you know, I, I, I guess I have to ask the question: If I, you know, I'm really sold on working with a tablet, um, you know, then then you know maybe I want to buy the latest off-the-shelf tablet, um, you know, that's running the latest. Software and, and just work with that. I'm not. I'm. I'm personally not convinced that you know the the hybrid of integrating the you know the tablet with the Braille is is the best way. But you know, only only time will tell. Yes. Oh, well, I think that one advantage of the hybrid is that if there is another person at home or another fellow student uh, that is working with the student, they would at least be able to visually read. Mm-hmm. What what this blind student is typing and writing. On right. the other hand, I still know that uh, Hims makes the fastest Braille note taker. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and you know the the you know these companies are always leapfrogging each other and you know sort of challenging each other to you know to go to the next level. Um, Hims, you know, was the one who put a little LCD um, display on the on the Braille sense, and so for a while that was sort of a, an advantage over the the older Braille note because you didn't have to plug into a monitor, um, yeah. you know, to, to see that. So now Humanware has you know an actual big screen built into to the device. Um, you know, I, I I think you know as long as there's a way to you know, to to have an easy way to have visual output. You know, that's the absolute important thing. And and for me, having mo- your devices be able to communicate with other devices is is key. And yes, you know, so as long as yeah. those those things are being met, I, I think that's uh, you know that's what I want to see in in future yes. technologies. Yes, and I think that the bottom line, what we could see is that over the last 40 years, things have come a tremendous, tremendous way. And and, and what's available for students with low vision and blindness, it, it is just absolutely amazing. Uh, Julian, is there any last words that you would like to say before we tune out? Um, one, one quick thing uh, that I'd like to say again to the teachers out there listening is that I'm also a big believer in that any child that's got uh, a visual impairment, especially one known to be degenerative, um, I think it's very important to teach kids Braille. 
and unfortunately the powers that be didn't feel that way with me. <laughs> and I uh, I just wanted to put in a quick word for Braille there. I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing for kids with, with any degree of vision loss to learn, especially if it's going to get worse later in life. Braille is, is something that, uh, if I had been taught, would certainly uh, serve me well. <laughs> so I uh, just want to put that out there. And also with regard to the uh, the note takers and the hybrid and all that stuff, I, I'm even though I'm not a note-taker user, I'm very excited about it because I think it, it definitely opens up greater possibilities to the consumer, especially with, with something like uh, the Android operating system, which is very you know, open source, and it gives one access to, to many types of apps, many different ways to connect with people that isn't quite as, as limited as uh, uh, what you had with some of the older note-takers that are running a, a very old version of a, Windows, a mobile version of Windows that um, was certainly good in its day, but um, it's, it's, the, the possibilities are, are, are limited, whereas with Android, uh, certainly o- opens up a lot more doors. So I, I'm very excited to see it. I know when I was at CSUN earlier this year, that was the big thing, is all, all these, uh, there were several of these uh, Android-based note-takers that were all in, in various uh, prototypes. And of course, HumanWare, I think, was, was the one that was furthest along out there, so I, I just think it's great. It's, it's a great thing to see mainstream technology uh, linking up with uh, specialized technology. Here, here. Yes. Gosh. Well, uh, Damien and Julian, I, I really want to thank both of you for all of your time sharing your expertise with all of us, and uh, we'll have to have a continuation on this topic so that we could talk about some of the new other computer software programs. I'd also thank to, like to thank Mr. Dick Burden uh, from Airs LA for recording this, and soon we will have this up on the website at www.airsla.com. That's A-I-R-S-L-A dot org. And it will also be up at the CCLVI website at www.cclvi.org. So until we meet again next month, good night, everybody.